Hello, my friend, and welcome to Something for Everybody, the podcast to help those who listen feel more loved and connected through story sharing and deep insights. My name is Aaron Mashbitz, and Ryan Head joins the podcast this week. And Ryan is a mental performance coach, a baseball coach, and a special education teacher. And in this podcast, we dive deep into goals, relationship building, and really how to care for the people that you work with. In other news, this podcast is brought to you by Amare. Amare is the mental wellness company, and I use their products every single day. So go ahead and click the link in the show notes, scroll through all of their products, and see which ones might work best for you and your wellness needs. Then once you get to checkout, use code EVERYBODY for $10 off your entire order. Now, on to episode 229 of Something for Everybody with Ryan Head. Hello, my friend, and welcome to Something for Everybody. My name is Aaron Mashbitz. Ryan, welcome to the show. And thank you for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm, I'm excited to talk to a, a very like-minded individual, baseball, mental skills, all of the good stuff. Uh, but before we get into, into the meat and bones, I have a super important question to ask you, and that is, how are you doing? Like, really, actually, how are you doing? Um, busy tired you know wearing a lot of hats right now but uh actually reflecting on things like that blessed and i know that sounds like a uh (laughs) a buzzword if you would but you know that's truthfully how i'm feeling so busy but blessed what are the what are the hats you are currently wearing let's see we've got high school teacher high school coach mental performance consultant on the side and recently a father so that's kind of the biggest one that's leading to that that the tiredness if you would man got a nine month old running around at home so keeping me busy and and insane if you would (laughs) well wow well congratulations on that that's a that's a that's a miracle it is it's a beautiful thing it's every emotion all at once truthfully yeah yeah i was i was going to ask you a different question but since you brought up fatherhood i'm extremely I'm extremely interested in that because I'm I'm getting married in September and soon after that I'm sure I'll have a baby, God willing. Um, and so, yeah. what is uh, what have you learned so far from being a father nine months in? What's been really hard? What's been really great? Yeah, you know, the wild thing about having a baby and and some people kind of hit on this, but when that baby comes, you almost feel every emotion all at once heightened or turned up to 11 if you would right so it's it's fear and it's love and it's it's joy and it's just stress and anxiety and it's everything all turned up at once and you know previously before i was before i was a father i was coaching football and baseball and that football season's kind of a grind in the high school in texas as you probably know um 7 days a week and 12 to 14 hour days and that baby's coming or on the way and, and the priorities start to, to realign if you would. And I realized, Hey, I want to spend some more time at home and kind of stepped away from the football world. So learning how to give less of myself, okay. And give more of myself to, to what really matters, um, top to bottom, right? So reprioritizing, Hey, family time, and then maybe it's work time or, or, you know, adjust that list accordingly. So that's a big thing I really learned is, 
how selfish we really are as individuals. And even, you know, as a teacher and a coach, I never really considered myself to be that selfish, um, maybe narcissistically speaking, but uh, yeah, they come and it's like, okay, this is everything, you know, you, you give everything and, and less of you. So that's a big lesson that you learn immediately. Hmm. Yeah. That's interesting because yeah, as, as you mentioned, right, we're, we're coach for, for youth athletes. So we feel like, we're serving it. We're serving them. But, you know, deep down, I'm like, you know, I enjoy it because, you know, sometimes the parents tell me I'm a great coach or, you know, <laughs> I get some praise or, you know, some admiration. Right. So, I mean, no, no act is completely unselfish. Selfless. Right. Exactly. You know, it can't be right. Because like I talk about this all the time with our mental health, like the best thing you can do for your mental health outside of exercise and eat well is like, go help other people. Inherently, you're going to do that to simply help yourself, but there's like this give and take, there's a win-win situation, you know, for all of it. And so, but then you have a baby and it's like, whoa, this like is the thing that like can't do anything without, you know, the people that are taking care of it, whoever that might be. And then you learn, like, I guess you learn what true love is. That's what I've heard. 100%. Yeah. Different type of love for sure. Cause I know you've, you experience it with your, your soon to be wife and, you know, I experience it your wedding day and this flood of new types of love that you've built up until this point. And then that baby comes and it's just a different type of intense love as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's one of those things you have to be on all the time and, and in our profession and coaching and teaching and, and those long days, you kind of come home and unwind and it's, you know, let's spend some time doing nothing or let's spend some time decompressing from the day and you get home now and it's, let's spend some time, still on a hundred percent turned on and working and moving. So yeah, different, definitely a, uh, an adjustment. Yeah. Wow. Well, uh, I look forward to hearing more about how that goes and then, uh, hit you <laughs> up for some, for some more advice as, uh, as my time gets sooner, maybe a couple years from now. So 100%. Yeah. maybe I'll have something a little bit figured out by that time <laughs> or not, or if we're just, or we're still flying by the seat of our pants, just doing the best we can, just doing the Here's best we can. Work. Here's what we're trying. You give it a go. <laughs> yeah. Um, so our, our love for, for baseball um, is obviously very mutual. I know what, what baseball has taught me, but it took me a very long time to realize it because I had a lot of resentment towards the game when I was finished playing. Maybe you feel the same way, but where was, what was your baseball career like? And, and maybe share some lessons potentially that impacted your life forever that you might've learned from baseball. 100%, you know, you and I are so similar because we both grew up in the Texas baseball atmosphere. You know, you went to, to Plano West and I was down in San Antonio, uh, Reagan high school. So competing at a, a pretty good program, two good programs, you know, in our time, or I'll hit back on this in a second, but going through, you know, competitive high school program, being able to be recruited to go play division two, uh, baseball in West Texas. And like you said, kind of looking back, you know, I was learning things, maybe not so explicitly like teamwork and, and responsibility and how to sacrifice for others for a greater purpose and good. Uh, but I wasn't learning things like how to regulate emotions or how to build my own confidence, what my self-talk looked like. And, and rea in reality, I didn't learn a lot of those things until I started coaching and then went into my master's program. And I look back on my baseball career like, man, I, I kind of wish I had these things when I was playing. And I don't know what it was like 
you know, for you uh, through your high school and college career, but these things were never really explicitly taught um, in our day. I think we're, we're the same exact age almost, but I was the type of hitter that would, when I was good, I was great, right? So confidence was rolling. I was a streak hitter. I was hitting 350. All of a sudden, one bad at bat or, or one comment or one bad day, and all of a sudden now I'm a 150 hitter, and I just rode this roller coaster. Um, knowing that I had the talent capability to be this hitter, but kind of stuck down here every now and then without ever explicitly knowing, hey, this is, you know, your mental game is not where it's at. You know, my confidence wasn't high all the time, or I didn't self-talk positively because I never knew explicitly what self-talk even was. You know, we've we talked to ourselves constantly and I was always a don't can't guy. Right. So don't strike out. I can't miss this pitch right here. Let me just ground out. So I, I avoid a strikeout and became this defensive type of player. Um, and not until, like I said, looking back, going through a master's program, working with athletes that I realized, oh, this is what it was. OK, now can I flip my mindset and help others learn these before they get out of their career like I was? So, yeah, that like you said, that resentment or look back and maybe even a little regret saying, I wish I had this. And, and that's just something you can bat with, you know, over time. And, and now my purpose has shifted. Let me help athletes avoid maybe the not, I don't know if say pitfalls, but avoid the the things I never had and give them the tools that I never had. So that's the the purpose reshift where, hey, my time was up. I had a good career. I enjoyed it. I can sit here and say what if all day, but now it's time to to help others achieve their dreams. And I found a lot of value and a new identity in that, if you would. Yeah, like when I when I started learning some of this stuff, it was like the the feeling of leaving untapped potential on the table you know and that like that's that's probably my greatest fear is not is is not reaching my potential that's probably like what keeps me up at night but also what motivates me the most to do the stuff i'm doing every single day and so like thinking about my career i'm like what like what if but then but then you have those what if questions and like as we learn this stuff, you know that you can't change anything that's ever happened in your past. You can obviously only move forward with what you do know. And so I was lucky enough to be introduced to Brian Kane, his material, not his actual, not the actual person. Because <laughs> uh, it was day. funny, I, my, my good buddy of mine who's going to be a groomsman at my wedding, his name's Cody Shero, and he was from Vermont. And... I'm pretty sure that Brian Kane was the AD either at his school or in the area that he was at. And so he just like knew of his stuff. And wow. like my junior year, I don't know how it happened, but he's like, hey, dude, maybe you check this guy out. Like I was like, OK, so I did. And I started doing some stuff. And that's when I got I, I, I really got into like visualization and mental imagery and things of that nature. But I didn't get super into the weeds of it to really like draw out the best of me. Um, so. That was really cool. And then my baseball career ended and I got like sort of pissed off about it. So I went right into being a professional wrestler and didn't think about, you know, playing baseball until I became a coach and some things happened in my life that that baseball sort of brought me out back out of that. And so like you, like, that's why I get so passionate about speaking with these young kids about like, just just start introducing it to yourself right now, like introducing 
calm, confidence, how to collect yourself, how do we bounce back, what do I say to myself, how do I reflect after a post-game performance, whether it was good or bad, you know, how do I learn from it, how do I create this idea that I want to accept challenges and obstacles make me stronger and things of that nature. Um, and you can introduce it to kids as, as young as nine years old because I'm coaching a nine-year-old team now. And yesterday at the end of practice, we did visualization. Stare at the barrel, take a deep breath, step into the box, tell yourself, bring it on, like thinking about that. And then, you know, five minutes in, all these kids are screaming, bring it on. They're screaming, bring it on, bring it on, bring it on. And it's awesome. Like maybe, yeah, they're just having a good time. But like if that's what they take away and that's the mentality they take into their next at bat, dude, that's sick. I don't even care if they're like in the box and what they're saying is supposed to be saying inside their head. They're like looking at the picture and screaming, bring it on, like like, whatever. Like the the nine-year-old picture might be like, whoa, what's happening? Like I'll teach him the same thing in the middle of the game. He's saying, bring it on. You say, bring it on. Let's fucking rock and roll. You know? Uh, Those kids are far now far and far and ahead of of so many other athletes. Just, Hey man, get that mantra rocking, find that spot and let's go. Right. Yeah. And I love that you yeah. mentioned Brian Kane. I mean, just kind of the, you know, Ken Revis is probably the father, if you would, of, of mental sports and baseball. And then Brian Kane's the pioneer who brought everything from him with him, if you would. Did that freeze a little bit? Okay. Uh, but yeah, you know, my I had a teammate introduce me to Steve Springer. I think in between my junior and senior year, you know, Steve Springer, the he's kind of the hitting coach, mental coach, quality at bats guy. And, mm-hmm. you know, that was a little bit of a scratch surface. You know, he's all about confidence and getting away from the batting average and sort of comparing yourself to, you know, you're sitting there saying, well, if I do this and my batting average will go here, if I do this and trying to get away from that sort of mindset. Um, so that's a little bit of what I kind of got towards the end of my college career, but not too much dove into the, the, the nitty gritty of it or the, the meat and bones, if you would, of, you know, how to self-talk, what visualization is, um, how to set proper goals. You know, everybody, everybody sets goals. I, I have a goal, right? So, okay, well, what is the map to that goal? And that's kind of where we try to work with there too, developing a routine that's consistent. Um, baseball, as you know, getting away from routine versus superstition even, right? Mm. So, sitting here saying I'm relying on my, my pair of socks today or my slide shorts that got me a hit yesterday. And I said, well, no, you know, there's comfort in that and, and you know, putting on that armor, but understand it's, it's your skill set and the process that you've developed that helped you get those hits, not your, your underwear you're wearing that day. <laughs> yeah. We're us baseball players are very weird when it comes to that stuff, you know, yeah, but if I think if you, you can have a little bit of that, but you got to combine it with some like stuff that's, that's rooted in actual reality. Like what are you doing day to day that like gets you set up for the game? Yeah. Wear those socks, tie those shoelaces the same way. Great. But if you don't do that, like you still have a routine that's going to allow you to perform on the field. Amen. And a skill set that you've, that you've worked on, right? Your, your slide shorts didn't go to the weight room five days a week. <laughs> <laughs> you did. And you didn't, your slide shorts didn't hit off the tee for hours and hours. Right. So understand, you know, and that comes kind of back to that attribution, right? I, I work a lot of this with youth athletes and you'll know this too, you know, and baseball players, again, getting right back to it is how many times do we say how oh, we lost that game because of the umpires, right? Or, oh man, we, if only this guy would have made this play or this guy would have got this hit. Okay. Then, then we would have won and getting them to shift youth athletes to start as early as possible to say, Hey, I'm not looking at things I cannot control. 
uh, I'm not putting the blame on something that is outside of my control. The same thing as routine and superstition. I'm going to look back at, you know, this worked because X, Y, Z. I put this process to get this performance, right? And and this didn't work because maybe I need to shift my process a little bit or I didn't assess my scouting report correctly and and really getting that mindset shift. And that that's something that, that transcends sports, right? I mean, how many times throughout our our careers, our, our relationships and, and jobs, do we try to place blame outside of something in our control? And, and that's one of the most beautiful things about the game. And you were mentioning earlier, you know, what is it building for my life outside of this game? And, and that's what I love about doing this mental skills thing is this is not only adding on to the physical benefits and the, the you know, other benefits you get from baseball, but the mental benefits, too. Yeah, it's just so applicable to to every aspect of your life. How do I handle this hard conversation with my partner? Okay, well, if I'm taking full responsibility for my actions and my thoughts, and I actually track back to that sarcastic or rude or condescending comment I made, and I have to take ownership for that, and that's why they're a little upset, or you know, I forgot to do the thing that I said that I was going to do. I was going to take the trash out or put the dishes away and I didn't do that. Okay. I have to be able to apologize for that and take responsibility for that and build that emotional bank account with the person that I love. And we're trying to do the same thing, you know, with our, with our players and teammates are trying to do the same thing. And so if you can learn that in an environment where you're having fun, which is baseball until it becomes a job, which it does at some point mm -hmm. in your career, potentially, but at Absolutely. that point, you've already built the intrinsic love for the game. So you're just out there getting after it. But anywhere between like, you know, six and 14, it's for the fun, the enjoyment, the love. And so we're building that inside of something that's fun and then being able to extrapolate out that into our relationship with our teacher or our classmates or, you know, we get a C on a test and we're like, yeah, I really actually did not prepare for that as much as I could. You know, I got by. I got to see, you know, but deep down, I, I know that I could have put in a little extra work there to get a B or to get a C plus or to get an A or whatever the case may be. And so that's, that's the most important thing. Cause you know, as us athletes know, who got to play, you know, blessed to play college baseball, very few high school athletes will, will make that next step. And even fewer will take that next step into getting paid to play a sport that they love. And so keeping youth sports fun enough to not let kids quit by the age of like 10 or 11 before they can even get the, you know, the juice from the sport, you know, the real juice of 100%. not like, I'm going to get a scholarship, but like, I'm going to create relationships and learn how to handle myself under pressure and be able to show up on time and make sure I have all my equipment together because it's my job to get my stuff together and put it in the car. Yes, most of the time my parents are going to drive me, but did I gather my stuff? Am I responsible for me? You know, all of that stuff is is much more valuable and important than the very small percentage of people who are going to make it a profession. 100%. And I know, you know, you can speak more on this being working with nine-year-olds, but it seems the business side of this or, or the job side of this is getting lower and lower in age. And it's, you know, as a high school coach looking at guys coming through, it's almost, I, I don't want to say tragic. It, it's, 
you know, the fun is so lost so early nowadays that it's let me get recruited as a 10 year old or a 12 year old. And, and I know you spoke a lot with, with Scott Fox on this and, you know, there's so much pressure now on kids at such a young age to play this fun game that, that there's burnout by the time they get, or not by the time I see them right in high school and they're just worn out. And, and, you know, I think there needs to be some sort of shift. I don't know what that would look like. It's hard to regulate select ball and, and these private club ball teams. And, but, you're exactly right. Uh, my my goal as a as a high school coach, hey, let me bring the fun back almost, right? Like you've been so serious for so long and forgetting that this is just an a, a exciting and fun game that you are privileged to play and not very many people get to do this. And, you know, I teach special education and, and these kids just wake up happy to be at school every day and happy to be alive and smiling and, and loving it. And I just like see this, this beauty in that and, and I want to exchange that for some people who are coming. Oh, I'm at the field again, or I'm at the weight room again, and I have so much pressure, and you know I have to get this scholarship. I have to do this, and like, man, it's it's not a have to; it's a get to, and mm-hmm. that's a big mind shift going in baseball right now, and, and the business side of it, if you would. I don't know. How do you feel? Do you see that too? Oh man, <clears throat> you. <laughs> You you said the right word, uh, tragic. That's what it is. <laughs> it really is, because if we cannot keep kids in sports at least until they get into high school, like if they get into high school and they decide they don't want to try out for the team, totally cool, totally cool. But if they can play a sport or all of them <laughs> until yes. they're fourteen years old, man, that's powerful. But I understand that everything revolves around money. I get that. I do. I'm not an idiot. Okay. <laughs> like I know that I need money and I have to make money and ev- everyone needs money. I get it. And when you find a business model that works and it produces millions of dollars over and over and over again, you're going to continue doing that. I understand. So people like Perfect Game and all of those things, I'm not faulting you for creating a business model that is, is crushing it. I, I understand. But but there has to be a level of morality that we choose to have for the sake of the kids playing the sport. It is ridiculous to have rankings for baseball teams at eight years old. 100%. You can still have all of the tournaments in the world. You can still charge $500 a team. You can still charge all of this. You can still charge a gate fee and all this stuff. You can do all of that. You can charge $45 for a pair of shorts to say PG on it. I love it. I love marketing. I love the hustle. I love all that stuff. But you do not have to rank anyone who's eight years old. You don't. I just don't. Like, there's no reason. Because then it falls back onto the parents. Then the parents want to look good in the eyes of the other parents and the other people in their town. So they have to be on the specific team, playing for the specific thing, having the specific thing. And then it trickles down into their kids. Now their kids feel the pressure of having to be on the team that's ranked number 10 in the country. If they're not, holy shit, they're never going to play for LSU. Like, so all of these things go together, but we, it, it's about uh, Jonathan Haidt, uh, sees as like a social scientist, talks about this collective action in terms of um, social media and teenagers. He said, parents have to come together. 50% or more have to come together to say, we're not letting our kid have a phone until they get to age 16. It has to be the same type of collective action 
on baseball parents or sports parents to say, we're not going to allow our kids to be ranked. We're not going to play in this sort of money grab, like ranking pressure situation. We're just going to play baseball. We're going to get around a good coach who wants to have fun, but also is going to teach my kid the fundamentals because those go hand in hand. Like sometimes baseball practice is boring. It's always going to be that way. That's why major leaguers do spring training and all they do is get hit fungo and do bunt plays like over and over. Like it's going to be that way as a young person as well. But we have to have collection, collective action. Like if one parent on the team says, "Mm, this doesn't make sense, they're booted. That parent's gone. Get him off the team. Yep. But if seven or eight or nine parents say, we don't really like where this is headed. We don't like how my child feels when he comes home from the game and he missed one ground ball and he's just distraught. And he's talking about how he doesn't want to play baseball anymore or he doesn't even want to play basketball. He doesn't want to go hang out with his friends because what if they're going to make fun of him for not being on the right team that's not ranked in a certain situation? It has to be boiled down into action. That's what everything is. No one cares about your words. No one cares about you might think it's wrong. But if you don't act on it, it's never going to change. It's never, ever, ever going to change. And so, again, it comes down to this idea of collective action. If you care about the well-being of your child, Because we see the numbers. Kids are more lonely, depressed, anxious than they've ever been before. And it may not be because of sports. Sports are probably helping that. But there's also an additive process of sports creating more pressure inside of that with this aspect of social media and the sort of conglomeration of all these things together. And so we have to be able to say, this is what's best for my kid. And then do it. And then then on top of that, parents need to have these realizations. need to be asking your kids the right questions after the game, after practice. It's not about, hey, why didn't you get a hit today? We did three hitting lessons this week. Holy shit. Are you kidding me? So all that kid thinks is like, my my parents pay for this thing. I have to get a hit. If not, I'm no value. Why not simply just say, hey, you know, Jimmy, I freaking loved watching you play today. (laughs) Oh, God, I loved watching you play. That's it. That's it. The conversation's over. It. Like you don't need to have a deeper conversation than that, Ryan. Right? I mean, (laughs) like I saw you fucking hustle on and off the field. I saw you high five your teammate. Boy, I saw your coach give you a high five and a pound. I loved watching you play today, dude. I loved it. That's you as a mom and dad. Like it would would be usually the only parents I see do that are the ones that played at a high level who have no stress when they come to the game. They're just like, ah, I'm just gonna watch my kid play today. God, it's gonna be fun. Go sit back. Baby. Go have a good day. Sitting back in the reclining chair, just just enjoying it, man. And just and enjoying it. You know, letting the coach it. do his work, letting the teammates run around, you know, not going by behind the dugout or walking yeah. in or yelling him out after he struck out. Just he gets into the car and you just say, Ah, fucking don't have to love say fucking. It. But I'm just like juiced <laughs> up right now. But Absolutely. like just I loved watching you play the game. God, your hustle and your effort today was incredible. The kid'll probably go, but but dad, I like, I didn't get a hit. Dude, I don't care. I saw yeah. you go up to the plate every single time, and you swung. Like, you struck out your first at-bat. I don't care. You showed up in your second at-bat. That's awesome. You kept showing up. You went out and played defense, too. Your coach told you to play right field. You'd never played right field before. Fucking nice job. Great job. Like, that's Amen. the conversation. That's it. And then you take him home. And then he's like, wow, I feel pretty good. Like, that's a great day. I'm ready, like, I'm ready to go back to the baseball field. I'm not dreading going 100%. to the baseball field now. I'm ready to go to the cages. You'd be shocked. That's right. Yeah. Like, even after the game, he's like, hey, Dad, can we, can we go to D-bat or something? Like, yeah, hey, we just played yeah. three games. I'm ready to go to D-bat. 
I feel oh, good because you bet, buddy. You bet. Yeah. We're gonna throw this arm out, baby. Dude, I mean, it, so yeah. It, um, it, it that, that's what I think based on your your question. It, it would shift things so hard in the right direction. Just something as simple as as parent feedback, and you know, the kids that we are working with now, like you mentioned, are dealing with so much. Number one, comparison traps, right? So so people are getting ranked in baseball and they're getting liked on social media apps, right? So now it's just always, where am I, where am I fitting up? Where am I meeting instead of, Hey, you know, social media is going on. I may not be getting what I want out of here, but I have my escape on the baseball field. Okay. And it needs to stay that way of, of this is where I go to get my Zen. This is where I go to, to, to let go and, and just be me. Not, this is where I go to get ranked by somebody or get yelled at by somebody, man. And, and, it just has to shift that way. And, you know, one at least physical aspect they've tried to do with, with high school baseball in what I think is response to travel ball, they start regulating pitch counts. And, and it seems to be the only thing they can do is regulate high school baseball because there's a, a a governing body over it, right? So when all the arm injuries started happening a few years ago, they're saying, okay, well, high schools, this is your pitch sheet. This is how many pitches each pitcher can throw, and this is how many days rest they have to go. Uh, if they throw this amount of pitches, it needs to be tracked every single game and turned into your administrators. And and that was all in response to because all these kids are going to play travel ball on the weekends. They're playing four, five, six games a weekend, and then we have our two games for the high school game, and, and it's just, man, our arms are tired. But nobody can regulate travel ball right now. Right. So, if, again, how do you regulate not only the physical aspect, but the mental aspect of travel ball? And it, it's a it's a it's a battle that needs to happen in the high school level. So so having these conversations like you and I are having and incorporating mental skills into the high school curriculum and, and just building those relationships here that aren't based on rank or money in my pocket because, you know, I I'd, I'd imagine that some of these travel balls are making more money than I am as a high school teacher. So that's not what it's about for me, you know? So. Yeah. The, the, the travel ball industry is um, quite a bit. I mean, I coach a nine-year-old team and a 15U team for a select organization and, and it, it, it costs a good bit of money to do that. I mean, I think what they get, you know, personally for me as a coach is, is real quality. So they're paying for good quality, but I believe that 100%. It, it costs the same, no matter what kind of coach you get and what team you're on and who pays attention to you and how many kids are on your team and all of that stuff. And so it's gotta be based on quality, not quantity, you know, uh, because I didn't get into coaching youth baseball because I wanted to make a lot of money. I have, I have a job. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, I, I wanted to do it because it's it's really fun, man. I got home from like this is my first season coaching nine you and we've had two practices already. And I, I, I we practiced with them yesterday and I got home and I just like felt good. I was like, yeah, man, that was that was like fun. We did some goalie drills. We did some base running. We hit some of these eight and nine year olds can swing it, baby. Yeah. I love it. It's awesome. Like Very they're nice. just excited to be there. They're always asking if we can do sprints. I'm like, yeah, baby, we can do sprints. <laughs> Let's yeah. go. Like, you know, <laughs> you tell a, you tell a 15 year old that we're doing sprints. They go coach like, oh. <laughs> <In the head. laughs> so it's so funny. Just like the, dis the discrepancy, but like, 
And so um, you you want to you want to be able to sort of vet out your coaches and find the ones that are qual- yeah you're going to run into some ones that are not very good. You're also going to run into ones that are really good people, but they just don't know a lot about baseball because of where they played. But I'd rather be with the good guy who's going to teach my kid a lot of life lessons. Mm-hmm. I can get the baseball stuff you know elsewhere if I really want to get good. Um, and so, and then the question always comes up for a lot of parents who who listen to this is like, but when when do I need to get serious? And that that's a difficult question because it, it depends on your child. It also depends on their level of skill. It also depends on how much financial investment you can make. Um, it also depends on where they live and the high school they go to. But as you see your kid develop into this 13, 14 range, you know, once you get into that high school system, yeah, you can start to sort of drill down. You can start to specialize a little bit. Um, I wouldn't do it before that. I think they should play all different types of sports to be able to learn those motor skills, different movement patterns, how to move laterally up and down, side to side, things of that nature, uh, based on what I've learned from the strength and conditioning coaches that have been on this podcast. Um, But there is a time that you need to start getting serious, especially if you want to play at the next level. But like I said, if you've been playing baseball since you were six and now you're 15, you've gotten like, what is that, eight, nine years of, of love for the game. So now when you're practicing three or four hours with your high school coach or he yells at you a little bit or you struggle a little bit, you don't want to quit. You know it sucks, and it's okay to say it sucks, but you're not going to give up because you've built this love for the thing, and you're like, I'm just going to keep showing up, baby. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Mm -hmm. And um, that's why it's important to have that love so when it does become something that's challenging and maybe you don't make your team or you make JV instead of varsity, there's, there's things that you've built up, especially if you've been working with a mental skills coach that allow you to bounce back so quick. Absolutely. It's like it goes into developing that why. You know, why are you doing what you're doing? Because, as you know, baseball is not always fun. And then the higher <laughs> you get, there's 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 times where it's going to be not very fun at all. And you know, I remember in college, and you you know, I could probably talk college stories all day. Of all right, well, it's wait weights at five thirty. It's you know, we were doing pool at five thirty, and it's conditioning at five thirty. And you know, waking up that early is not fun as a college student, but waking up that early to go run is definitely not that fun. So. You know, remembering, hey, this is why I'm doing it because I do love this game, and and getting that built up from the youngest of ages you can possibly get is is invaluable. Hundred percent, hundred percent. And you mentioned goals earlier. How would you, how would you, how do you discuss maybe with your high school kids about how they should structure their goals? Yeah. So for me, I I do kind of a three goal system. So it goes process, performance, and outcome. And you know, outcome is always the easiest goal to set. We all have outcome goals because we're all looking for what we want out of whatever we're doing, right? So we can set those first, you know, high school baseball athletes, team outcome goal would be we want to win state, right? We want to make playoffs. Wins. Wins is the outcome goal almost always. I don't know why it wouldn't be as a competitive player, right? So let's work back from there. Okay, well, what performances are going to drive wins and then what process is going to drive performance? So what's our process goal look like? You know, day in and day out, what am I trying to work on in my game that's going to get me ready for my performance? So if you're somebody who is, I don't know, struggling with outside fastballs, okay, that might be your process for your practice week going into your performance uh, in the game coming up. So my process goal is, you know, hit X amount of, I don't know, front toss, oppo front toss or oppo T, okay, high oppo T to stay on top or inside. Okay, so then my performance goal is to, you know, 
compete at the plate. I never like to do kind of numbered performance goals for baseball players. Going back to that Steve Springer outlook, like let's have some some quality at bats. Let's help the team win. Let's get on base in any way we can. Uh, let's set those performance goals that way. Now, if we in our game get that outside fastball we've been working on, all of a sudden I bang it to, to right or left field, depending on where you're hitting from. Hey, my process set me up for that performance. And then that performance was what I could control to help the outcome because the outcome obviously is a collective um, team effort considering a team sport. So explicitly game by game saying this is what I want to do in this game. Okay, I've got a note card or I've got my, my vision board or whatever you have or, or the ability to take with you in your bag or your locker. Um, this is what happened after a self-reflection on my performance. Now let me go adjust my process goals based on what happened in my performance today. Perfect. And then what do you what do you use as a post-game reflection tool for your players or for the the um, kids that you mental skills coach for? So if they've got, you know, I'm very big on writing things down. So if they've got their journal, um, I like to set their goals in a journal if they can. Here's my performance goals for today. Let's reflect on what actually happened. You know, we've got such a statistically um, saturated game. There's a statistic for everything now. But, okay, let me check on how do I think I succeeded? What was our outcome? Did we win? Okay, if we did not win, what can I do in my performance? I went 0 for 4 today, but... I got walked once. Okay, why did I go for four? Um, really assessing their mindset conversationally. Hey, you know, what were you thinking about at the plate? Why do you think you struck out in this at bat? What was going through your mind? What could you have changed to maybe draw a walk, get hit by a pitch, do a sack fly, sack bunt, and just taking away the pressure of you have to get a hit in this situation, and that's what success looks like, uh, and then reflecting on, you know, the stat sheet, if you would, what, what did you do and what can you shift to next game? Hmm. What I always found or what I thought envisioned challenging for, for at least a high school coach who also is really well-versed in mental skills like you, how do you pick and choose like when to potentially work on baseball skills, fundamentals, plays or things you need to work on while integrating some mental skills inside of that? Or is there a separate thing that you do or, or how do you, how do you work through that? The teams that I've worked with, you know, through mental skills while being a coach as well. Um, the coaches, the head coaches I've worked under have really done a good job carving out time to do kind of sessions, team sessions. But mm -hmm. anytime if I'm going to the cages and I'm working with hitters, everything ties in together, right? So it's not just get your foot down, get your hands back, keep your head behind the baseball. It's, you know, okay, what is your, what's, what's going through your mind right now while you get your foot down, hands back and head behind the baseball. Okay. What is your, what's your, what's your self-talk like? Do you have a mantra? Okay. Okay. So we just hit this ball, you know, off, right? We flared it up into the side of the cage. Let's take a step out of the box even in the cages, right? Let's make it as realistic and game-like as possible. Let's take a step out of the box, find that focal point on your back, take a deep breath, say your mantra, and get back in there. Okay, let's say we're in an inner squad. Um, a player tells me on the mound, I, I just don't I have it in my mind today. Okay, well, let's take a step back and do our concentration redirection. All right, so maybe it's not mechanical, but you have an opportunity in baseball. It's such a unique sport where we can, we can take so many – pauses if you would it's a, it's a great way to pause and brian kane speaks a lot about the pause and how important it is and step off the mound 
right? You have the ability to step off the mount. You have the ability to step out of the box. Okay, so let's incorporate mechanical routines, if you would, right? If a kid doesn't get his foot down, etc., in uh, our mental game. So I'm going to get my foot down, and I'm going to I'm going to bang this ball right here. Hmm. Yeah, I love it. I love the idea of just making it part of the structure of how you coach, because you know so often it's like seen as this thing that like someone who's like not well needs to focus <laughs> on. Right. But I like through all the good work of people like Brian Kane and Dr. Michael Gervais and people who are like making it something that like, if you want to be the best in the world and you don't train your mindset, you're just not going to get there. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get to the edge. You're not going to be the tip of the arrow. And so my my favorite thing about that is like when Dr. Michael Gervais was working with the Seattle Seahawks, he was like, yeah, I didn't have an office. I just was like walking around, talking to people as one of the coaches just to make it as like easygoing as possible. So we would have a five-minute conversation here. We'd have a 10-minute here. We'd have a 15-minute here. And then as people got comfortable, if they needed more from me, of course, we could we could schedule something that would be a little bit deeper. But I'm just trying to make it another skill. Oh, we're going to go do film room. Okay, Gervais is there. Maybe we'll talk to him while we're thinking about this. Like, okay, Coach Ryan is there. He's working on everything integrated as once. Because if I'm going to be a good fielder, good hitter, good pitcher, good catcher, whatever it is, and my and my mindset is backing that up, whoo, man, I'm ready. I'm ready, and I'm yeah. I'm very capable to be on the baseball field. It's the best thing. I mean, everything's about blending it all, right? Even skill sets, you have to blend so many different physiological skill sets to play this game okay so baseball again you know approach we talk approach so much and approach and approach and approach well approach is the middle game so tying it into the approach now i'm helping you hey we've got an approach because my mindset's right to go on with my physical uh, attributes yeah yeah if you're uh, if you're still listening to this podcast 42 minutes in and you're not a baseball player <laughs> just uh <laughs> Just remember um, that all of these things are applicable to you in the domain that you're in, right? How you approach your day-to-day. What's your process like? What performance goals do you have? Do you have any outcome goals? Um, Are you able to take a deep breath and control your response? Maybe after your boss yells at you and you're about to get on a sales call, that's your response. Your response right there could be everything. That could be the biggest deal you ever close if you control your response or it could be the one you lose out on. And so all of these things are applicable into your domain. Uh, Ryan and I just really like <laughs> baseball. baseball. <laughs> so, so that's what we talk about. But uh, just want to mention that. If you're still here, you know, 45, 45 minutes. <laughs> but um, another, um, another thing that's super important um, is care, like caring for the people that you work with and, and, and making sure that they know that you care. How, how do you do that with, with the people and the players that you work with? You know, everything comes down to relationship building. And, and to me, that's all conversational. Okay? And mm-hmm. with high school kids, one of the biggest things is asking them questions that don't pertain to mental skills or baseball, right? So just trying to shoot the shit with them a little bit. Hey, you know, how was, how was class today? Did you fail a test? What are your grades like? Okay, you, you flirting with any girls over there and just trying to keep it funny and light? And, and that's... That goes beyond, you know, I'm here to get something out of you in baseball. It's like, no, I'm, I'm here to give something, put something into you for life. Um, you know, I, if I do, do or do a self brag right here real quick, but last year's banquet, 
one of last year's banquet, right, for baseball, a kid gave a talk about, you know, something I like about Coach Head is he comes and he asks me what books I'm reading. And he asks me, am I still number two in my class? And he asks me, you know, where am I going to college? And, and we just have these conversations that have nothing to do with baseball at all. Uh, and that's what it's about, like, separating the the look at these kids as something they're doing for you. They're here to get wins for you. No, it, it's it's a relationship you have together. And these are human beings that are one day going to go off into the world and either say, man, my coach sucked. He didn't care about me. Uh, he never once asked, you know, what was going on in my personal life when I was having a bad day. My head was down. All of a sudden I'm making errors or I'm striking out. And he's like, well, you're not doing this or this. Well, maybe it's not anything to do with baseball at all, right? Maybe they failed a test or their girlfriend broke up with them or they're something more serious, right? Their parents are going through something. And, and these things happen because these are human beings and this is real life, right? Some of these high school kids and my first job was in the inner city. They were going through things that I've never even had to, an experience with at all. Some some of the hardest things you could imagine, they were working full-time jobs because they had to help pay rent. Uh, they were tired because they worked from four o'clock when school was out till midnight at their parents' store or wherever because they were in charge of a car payment, right? As a 14, 15, 16-year-old kid. And, you know, that didn't, that doesn't register with me. But if I sit here and say, you know, why are you so tired? You need to sleep more. And I've never even asked a question of what's going on. You know, mm -hmm. the honest, genuine question. How are you? Like you say, every every podcast, right? Hey, how are you really? And if I'm not doing that, then, you know, maybe my heart is in the wrong place for this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very powerful. Just simply trying to see another person as another person. I think um, oftentimes, yeah, we see them as just kids, right? They're just kids, and they need to do what I say, type of thing. And so, stepping away from that and understanding these are these are humans with lives, and you know, we see them for an hour to four hours, depending on your practice schedule a day. But there's 20 other hours in the day where they've got real stuff going on too. Yeah, yeah. The the Brian Kane quote that. uh fits this perfectly is we as coaches we can't be transactional we must be transformational 100 mm percent. -hmm. i think you and missy mitchell mcbeth talked about that a lot too and that's what it's really about getting away from and you know getting away from the the, the pride of it and being competitive and being a former you know college player and i think the higher you get like you said you kind of separate better from this but understanding that it's no longer about me and my career of well i want these wins from these kids because it makes me look good it's i want to build these kids up in every holistic facet i can because that will make them better people and then in turn it will help the program it's the wild thing right if i help these kids holistically i'm going to get what i want out of it because everybody wants that outcome of winning but if you are just focused on winning and, and, you know, not focused on the heart of the player and the development of the player, uh, you may not get the wins and you may not get the, the joy and fulfillment that this job can really bring to you. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, it makes me think about like, you know, the best team doesn't win. The team that plays the best wins and what team plays the best. Well, the team that, that loves the dude next to him. I freaking love my shortstop, my center fielder. Like I love every guy 
on my team. We're watching Dan Campbell right now with the Detroit Lions basically yes. show us that in real time over the last three years, how he's transformed a culture with obviously all the other coaches and staff and players, like everyone's bought in and involved, but he's sort of the figurehead. And basically you can see him like tough losses. He's crying. He's talking about his players. He's saying, I love you. Like, and this is a football is a business. Like every yes. sport at a high level is a transactional business. It is people get cut. There's money involved. No one cares about you really. But if you can get a coach who for the time he's with you, maybe it's a day, maybe it's two weeks, maybe it's only spring training, maybe it's only camp, maybe it's only one season, he really conveys to you that he cares about your well-being and he loves you. You're going to want to fucking run through a brick wall for that man on and off the field. And that organically translates to playing better. And then it translates to wins. Uh, but if you're only, like you said, with your with your goals approach of process, performance, and outcome, if you skip those first two steps and you're only just outcome based, it's just it's not going to work. Because I get in sports, right? It, it's about wins. If you don't win, you lose your job. Like it's plain and simple, right? If you don't win, you're not you're not in a job. You just don't have it anymore. But if that's how you talk to all your players all the time, then it goes back to the ranking eight year olds. That's all they're thinking about. I have to get ranked. I have to get ranked. Well, I have to win. I have to win. I have to win. I have to win. Kids know that if you love them, you care about them, your relationship is there. They're going to play hard for you. And now you have a job at this school for 20 years. You're a freaking legend. Everyone who comes through loves you. You change a bunch of lives. Like all of that stuff is, is much more cool than, I don't know, whatever, anything Trophies. else. Might be able to, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Trophies that dust. I mean, and, and you could even have, you know, so much talent that it supersedes your the negative side of your coaching, if you would, and then win a bunch. Um, but I'd, I'd love to see a study that, you know, programs like, I don't know how you'd even find that or quantify it, but what skills have you given those kids as they transition into the next phase of their life? And, and, you know, how much have they had to struggle once they leave that program because they haven't been taught certain things that will set them up for success. And then all of a sudden they're in a job market and they're not winning because that's all they've, they've ever been told. And, boom, here comes depression and anxiety, right? So, you know, obviously that's a hard thing to, to study or quantify, but I, I'd almost be willing to bet that's what would happen. And that's might that might be what is happening, okay? So you're so focused on outcomes. Then I go into the real world and I'm getting beat down by job applications and, you know, I'm still living at home because I can't make any money and I don't know how to deal with failure and move forward and develop that grit. Um, because my why was only tied into how much can I win? I just want to win, 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 no matter what. Right? <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, because then you, you, like you said, you go out into the real world, you, you apply for 25 jobs and you get none of them. Mm -hmm. You know, what's next? Maybe you have to apply for a hundred. Are you willing to do 75 more? Maybe. Or maybe this is the first time you've dealt with an obstacle and you're not really sure what to do about it. Now, it may be just that you've never dealt with anything and this is the first time. Okay, maybe you have some mentors or coaches that you can ask in the moment. Mm -hmm. But if you've built that up for a long time, like, you know, I went over my first, I don't know, 20 in my Division One baseball career. And I was like, I don't know. What, I, don't know what, I don't know what to do. If I you know, fell out of a boat, I couldn't hit water. Like, I, I got nothing. You know, and you just, you just got to keep showing up. 
And, you know, I didn't know what to do really, but I know that I got to keep showing up and eventually something's going to happen. Um, and it did. And then you, you learn how to handle that a little bit better <laughs> and funny story. And then I finally got my first hit and it was a double. And I like basically like forgot how to be on base. <laughs> it, had been, it had been so long, right? I like hadn't gone. And it was my first start of my college career. I felt like I hadn't been on base since I was in high school. And like I hit this double and my buddy who is a freshman, he was coming up and he didn't get a lot of at bats either early in the season he was about to have an at-bat he was more of a pitcher so he really got at-bats and he was like juice to get this at-bat so we're down like 13 to 1 and then i was like basically on second base and then i just started like daydreaming <laughs> and then i got i got fucking tagged out and i was like because i was just like so excited that i got my first hit and like wasn't even paying attention that like a real <laughs> baseball game was still happening and then uh, he was pissed he was like dude aaron what the fuck man <laughs> like, didn't i'm get sorry and did the inning and everything. <laughs> yeah, whole thing. The game was like, I think the game run ruled right after that. And then he like oh, pitched the next God. day. So he didn't get a hit. And then, yeah, he didn't really see many ABs after that. So. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, but there's, there's one more thing I want to ask you, um, which is this thing you posted on LinkedIn, which is I can, I have, I am, and I will. Some affirmations, some self-talk. Can you, can you talk about that process? Yeah, I was kind of sitting around one day thinking what would be a good you know, tie in for baseball players and you take chaw because of a uh, thought of the sandlot, obviously like the big chief and the chaw and tying it into that. Um, so I'm thinking, you know, if we're going to go into positive self-talk and confidence building, you know, how can I affirm myself or even pick one of those four? I can, I have, I am, or I will as my mantra, right? So reflecting on past performances, a big thing about building confidence. So I can dominate this pitcher today. Okay. I have crushed uh, this guy in the past or a guy like this in the past. I will control my controllables. I am a damn good baseball player and whatever that might look like for you. And if you want to do all four, by all means, go get it. Cause all it's going to do is, is build that confidence and build that self-talk. And I mentioned tying it into your performance goals even. Okay. So let's build together with goals, Confidence and self-talk. Okay, I can get on base three times today. I will keep my ERA below this, whatever, whatever, and just tying that in all together. Nice. That's, a, that's another thing that transcends baseball, right? You could do this every night and every day in your in your everyday life. So I can, I have, I, I am, I will. Yeah, beautiful. I mean, that's that's a fantastic way to start the day rather than immediately picking up our cell phone. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you're laying in bed, you woke up, your alarm went off because you don't use your phone as your alarm. You use something else as your alarm. Just a little note there. There you go. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And you're awake. You're like, man, it's awesome to be alive. Thank God for another day. And you take a few deep breaths and you say, I can, I have, I am, I will. And then you put your two feet on the ground and you get rocking and rolling. Like what a great Dominate way to start the day. Dominate the day with that, man. Yeah. You know, yeah. I read, uh, if you've read Think Like a Monk by Jay Shetty, <laughs> he talks about roll over immediately when your alarm goes off, put your hand, head in your hands and start doing gratitude. So if you want to do, I can love everybody I meet today, right? I have an amazing family, an amazing life. I am capable of whatever this day brings and I will dominate the day. There you go, right? Mm. You're set up for complete success. Oh, yeah. That's the juice right there. That's the juice. That's the juice. 
Because as Brian Kane says, you know, if you bring the juice, you are useful. Or yep. juice is you, yes, something like useful, that. Useful, you're useful. I think yeah. there it is. There it is. There it is. <laughs> yeah, dude. I, yeah. I had a we had a chance at a, at a high school coaches convention to watch him speak, and man, he comes out and he goes, everybody stand up and and do the yes, 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 and it's find somebody to play rock paper scissors. This is a group of high school coaches, right? And he's getting them up out of their chair, and the energy's there, and it's all juiceful and useful, man. He he's he's the real deal. Oh yeah, I love his power clap. Give me a power clap. Bah, give me a power yep. clap. Two power clap. Bah, two, bah, bah. Three. It's two awesome. Claps yeah. a, two claps and a Ric Flair. Yes. Yes, that's right. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm all in for the the yes chant and Ric Flair uh, yeah, stuff. The, the, uh, the wrestling side. Professional wrestler, Brian Kane bringing that in. Yeah, you could just tell, like, people like that just, like, love what they're doing. Love it. And there's such a translation of energy. You can just, like, feel it in your in your heart. And you're like, even though this might have been – a 10 hour conference and you're a little bit tired. You're like, dude, I see this guy. He's I'm okay. Here we go. I'm sitting up in my chair. My posture is good. I'm giving power claps. I'm yeah, saying, I'm ready. you know, like, <laughs> let's go, you know? So it's cool. You just love seeing that, that, that guys are so you know into what they're doing, which is what, you know, obviously you and I try to bring to the table. Absolutely. Uh, which I think we, I think we brought the juice on this podcast episode. I think so too. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Um, Juiceful and useful, baby. That's right. <laughs> uh, is LinkedIn is LinkedIn a uh, LinkedIn the best place for for people to reach out to you, Ryan, or is there another place they should go? LinkedIn is. I actually I got away from social media about a year ago now and kind of stuck to those guns. But yeah, LinkedIn, I'm still on it, still rolling the, the professional community. So awesome. Well, it's great to meet you virtually. Hopefully, can we we can meet in a, in person at some point and chop it up. Absolutely. But, uh, we'll get thank that you for up. your your time and attention and your effort and who you are as a person. And thank you for, for your purpose and your mission and, and keep on giving that light to the world, brother. Hell yeah. Rock on. Thank you. Cheers. Absolutely. Everybody. Thank you for tuning in to that episode with Ryan. What idea stood out to you the most? What idea resonated with you most deeply that you could implement into your life today, right now. And if you enjoyed that episode, please share it with a friend because the podcast grows from people like you sharing it with people like you. And don't forget to leave us a rating or review on Spotify, Apple, or even on Good Pods. But the absolute best way to support this podcast is by becoming a supporter via Patreon. Patreon directly supports me, this podcast, and my mental health nonprofit called You Are Loved. So click the link in the show notes, scroll through all the tiers, and see which tier works best for you. So thank you in advance. But most importantly, most importantly, above all else, please, please take good care of yourselves and others. And I'll see you next time. Lots of love. Cheers.